of the sermon series, the Philistines are coming. The Philistines are coming. Why don't we do this? Let's just look at your neighbor real quick and just tell them the Philistines are coming. And now the person you just ignored, the other person on the other side, tell them the Philistines are coming. So last week, Tom talked about uh, that Samson was called from birth and that we have a calling and the lost potential that Sam, Samson had there. And that's the whole point of this sermon series, is the Samson's tragic story of lost potential. And I think all of us can relate to that, that we have places in our lives that we see we've lost potential. And there's a, there can be a grieving part of that, that you might feel during the sermon series. But I think the sermon series will encourage us to not lose potential, but also what to do with that lost potential as well. Let's give it up for Tom. Yeah. It's his third week back from sabbatical, and he's never looked better. Go ahead and whisper a prayer for me there, will you, Pal? Yeah, Lord, we just ask that you bless the, the sermon this morning, the words that are spoken from your word, Lord God. I ask that your spirit would be upon Tom, Lord God, and the preparation mm -hmm. that he's done this week and the hard work he's put in to, to know the things that must be said to us, to encourage us, to convict us, and to bring us closer to you and what you would have for us in your name. Amen. Amen. The Philistines are coming. He got it right. Uh, it's the story of Samson. It's found in the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 16. You can turn there now if you would like. It's the seventh book in the Bible. You've got the five books of the Pentateuch, which are the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you get two J books. You get Joshua, which is the conquering of the promised land, moving into the promised land. And then after that, the book of Judges as they begin to set up government in the promised land. That's where we find ourselves in that seventh book of the Bible, the book of Judges, chapter 13. Last week, we talked about Manoah's unnamed wife. She was barren, remember? But Jesus showed up and promised her she would conceive and bear a son. We also talked about the vow of the Nazarite, which Samson was born into. Now you can listen to last week's message and see how the vow of the Nazarite runs parallel with the life of the New Testament Christian. You can, by the way, listen to last week's sermon. You can get the CD back at the Welcome Center. You can listen on our website, click on sermons, follow the thread, or you can subscribe, you know, the little podcast icon, you click on that, you touch that, and uh, subscribe to Central Assembly Superior, and then it automatically downloads the sermon uh, to your phone uh, automatically. Hey, it's all free. All of that is free, again, because of your faithful giving. And soon, by the way, we will have a live feed available of the sermon here. And uh, so within six weeks, all the people at, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's cheap applause, I'll take it any way I can get it. Uh, these days we're talking about Samson, he was a man of mythical strength, his muscles had muscles. It just seemed like the thing to say there. But he didn't always use what God had given him the way it was intended. And this is where we get the tagline for the series, 
the tragic story of Samson's lost potential. And so the question looms in my mind, not only while I'm preaching, but throughout my preparation for the series, how can we reach our potential for the kingdom? How can we become all that we can be for the glory of God? These and other questions are answered today in part two of the series. The Philistines are coming in a message called Moved by the Spirit. We pick up the story shortly after the birth of Samson. We're still in Judges chapter 13 today. Two verses, verses 24 and 25. It says, And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan. The promise of God to Manoah's wife from earlier in the chapter had come to pass. The woman bare a son, and she called his name Samson. That's the way it works, you know. What God says, He will do. He's the God who cannot lie. His promises are yea and amen. If He's promised it, You can take it to the bank. It's as good as gold. It's as good as done. If he's promised it, in fact, in the realm of heaven, it's already happened. And the church would be ahead of the game if we learned to lay hold of the promises of God as though they had already happened. God told Manoah's wife, you will conceive and bear a son. And here we are. So Samson is born and his story moves from birth to adulthood in but a handful of words, not even verses. And he finds himself in the camp of Dan at the crossroads. Samson grew and was blessed of God, according to verse 24. There was a call upon his life. He was created to do the job. Everything that he needed was in place. All the preparations had been made. Everything was going according to plan. All systems were go. Then in verse 25, it says, the Spirit of the Lord began to move Samson. What a, what a great Scripture this is. What a great Bible verse this is. The Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan. Come on now. He found himself at a crossroad in the camp of Dan. I think many of us have found ourselves at that same crossroad. It's the place where the world and ministry intersect. This is the place where our life of faith and our other life overlap. This is the place where two worlds collide. It's the camp of Dan. This is where Samson stood in Judges 13. The Spirit was was moving him, but it cannot be denied. And if you read the rest of Samson's story, you know he was pulled in other directions too. Maybe you've been there. God is moving to be sure, but there's another side to life. There are places we would prefer not to contemplate the things of God. There are parts of our heart, there are parts of our routine where we would still like to keep them isolated from the things of God, our life with Jesus. I know Pat Storm would say about here, I've gone from preaching to meddling. 
Verse 25 finds Samson at a crossroad. This is where many of us drop out or many of us plateau. You see, something has to give when the Spirit of the Lord confronts you in the camp of Dan. One of three things will inevitably happen. Number one, you'll drift away. Not deciding to go deeper into the things of God is a decision too. And if that's what you decide, you will drift away. Or, you become really good at compartmentalizing. Because you have to keep these two worlds separate. Either one of these worlds has to die, or you have to work really hard to keep them separate. And you know this is where you are, working really hard to keep them separate, when you tell lots of lies, or you keep lots of secrets. You have two worlds coexisting that never intersect. Or number three, you totally, radically sell out to Jesus. God had plans for Samson. He was, he was called to be judge over Israel and to deliver God's people from the oppression of the Philistines. He was standing at the crossroads. He, he had to decide which direction he would go. This is where we have to make a choice. More of the world or more of Jesus? The Spirit moved him, it says in verse 25. Have you ever wondered if the Spirit is, is moving you? Have you ever wondered if you're really hearing from God? I, I think most of us, we ask ourselves this question. Am I hearing from God? Or, or is it the devil? I mean, we, we talk about hot and cold, right? Or, or is it myself? Is it, is it just something coming from me? Well, let me, let, me, let me remind you of the faith aspect to Christianity. We're Pentecostals, by the way, here at Central Assembly, and that speaks of an experiential aspect to Christianity, but we cannot be removed from the faith aspect either. If everything is a bolt of lightning or an undeniable miracle, then there's no faith involved. And faith is the catalyst in us receiving something from God. So, so let's take a quick look this morning at how God speaks to us. How do we know if the Spirit moved? How does He speak to us here in the 21st century? Nine ways God speaks to us. In each case, for the sake of time, I'll give you one quick scripture or a quick example. Each of these could be a sermon in and of themselves. Number one, prophecy. Again, nine ways God speaks to us. Number one, prophecy. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I believe this, that prophecy is less foretelling than it is forthtelling the Word of God. There are still prophets in the truest sense of the word, for sure, but for the most part, I believe the modern-day prophet is the pastor as he forthtells the Word of God. Number two, tongues and interpretations, the ways God speaks to us. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 12 that we all have spiritual gifts. Some have the word of wisdom. 
Others have the gift of the word of knowledge. Others may have the gift of faith or the gift of healing or miracles or prophecy or discerning of spirits. And then the Bible says to another, diverse kinds of tongues and to another, interpretation of tongues. Occasionally, we will see that here. A message is given in an unknown tongue and subsequently there is an interpretation given. It's one of the ways God speaks to us. Number three is still small voice. We often look for God in the big things. We think he speaks in the storm or in the wind or in the earthquake or the fire, but Elijah discovered in 1 Kings 19 the Lord was not in the fire. He heard him after the fire in a still, small voice. Number four, audible voice. There are more than a few examples in Scripture of the audible voice of God. Perhaps the most prominent to us would be the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Doesn't happen often, but it has happened, and it does happen. Number five, angels. Again, nine ways God speaks to us. Number five, angels. In Acts chapter 8, an angel tells Philip what direction to go. Hebrews 1.14 says, angels are ministering spirits... This is interesting. Angels, Hebrews 1.14 says, are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation. Do you know who the heirs of salvation are? That's you and me, baby. Sometimes God is speaking to us through an angel. And sometimes it's an angel unaware. Number six, visions. We referenced Paul's conversion in Acts 9. Well, when that happened, God told Ananias in a vision to take Paul in and nurture him back to health after Paul's encounter with God. Number seven is dreams. Twice God spoke to Joseph in a dream to protect the infant Jesus. What's the difference between dreams and visions? About 34 cents a pound. (laughs) Dreams are when you're asleep and visions are when you're awake. Let's go with that. Number eight, impression upon the Spirit. Acts 18.5 says, Paul was pressed in the Spirit. We would be more likely to say, I felt impressed. I felt an impression to do this or or to go there. It's an impression we feel in our heart or in in our spirit. And number nine, the final way on our list of of God's way of speaking to us is God's Word. It's the most common method of God speaking to us. The Bible. I know it's not the flashiest answer. I, I know there's a, a certain breed of kind of hyper spiritual person who longs for the spectacular, but here in the church age, God speaks to us most often through the Word of God. Romans 15 4 says, For what things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I hope someday, when my time here is all said and done, and someone asks you, what's one thing that Tom taught you? I hope you can answer, he taught us how important it is to read our Bible. I hope you can say, Tom told us to get up every morning and to get our nose into the Word of God. 
You see, there is no shortcut. There aren't any apps to download that can do it for you, and there's no one that can do it in place of you. You have, there is no shortcut. There's no substitute for your own personal time in the Word of God. You cannot store it up. There is no other option. There is no alternative. There is no other way. You have to read the Bible. The Bible is the only book that reveals the state of man, the mind of God, and the way of salvation. The Bible is superior to all other books in its formation, its doctrines, its claims, its contents and its eternal benefits. It's the most reproduced book in all of history, and it's blessed millions in every generation. It condemns sin, and it promotes the highest standard of living. All of man's present and eternal needs are met in the Bible. Redemption and all its promised benefits have been given to everyone who believes in any generation. It's been miraculously preserved through the ages for what good is inspiration without preservation. Kings, kingdoms, and entire nations have sought to destroy it, but here it stands. Its superiority is reflected in the eternal character of its contents. It reveals things we could never have known otherwise. Its inspiration is demonstrated by the response of the soul to it. It's applicable in every age. It's clear in its teaching, and it's universal in its appeal. It's bursting with fulfilled prophecy. Over 3,000 prophecies have already been fulfilled, and many more wait to be fulfilled in the precise timing and the perfect plan of God. The Bible is set apart in its perfection. It's scientifically and historically accurate. No one has ever been able to find fault. It's always up to date. It applies to all people in all ages and all lands. The Bible is worth more than all other books which have ever been printed because it's not simply words on a page. It's not just ink and paper. It's more than inspirational thoughts or human wisdom. It's quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it divides asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and it's a discerner of the very thoughts and intents of the heart. It's the Word of God and it's the most prevalent way God speaks to us today. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Now God does speak to us in other ways than the nine that are on that list. He speaks to us through other people. He also speaks to us through our circumstances. But I believe circumstances to be the most overrated way of God speaking to us. It's way too easy for us to twist our circumstances into saying what we want God to say to us. Let me add this. If God is saying anything to you that contradicts the Bible, hear me now, church. If God is saying anything to you that contradicts the Bible, know this. It did not come from him. It's a lie from the devil or it's a machination of your own deceitful heart. That's one more reason why the Word of God is the most important and the most relevant way that He speaks to us today. The Spirit of the Lord began to move Samson at times in the camp of Dan. Maybe God is moving you. So if that's true, I'll tell you what we need. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament notes three significant interactions or baptisms involving the Holy Spirit. The first is when Samson, Samson, the first is when the Spirit baptizes us into Christ. 
We call this conversion. It's the, it's the salvation experience. For by one Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we are all baptized into one body. What's that talking about? It's talking about the body of Christ. It's talking about the church. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles or bond or free, we're baptized when we become Christians into the church, into the body of Christ. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, takes up residence within us. We become the temple of the Holy Ghost. He dwells in us We are when we are saved. Now the second baptism is the baptism in water. This is the external evidence of our conversion. Acts 2.41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Note the order. They received Christ first, and then they were baptized in water. Water baptism pictures what has already transpired, what has already taken place in the heart. And it gives public evidence of our conversion. Now the third is when Christ baptizes us in the Spirit. And in each case, baptism, the word baptism means immersion. Immersion into Christ, immersion into water, and immersion into the Holy Spirit. In each case, both the agent and the element are different. On the bottom of your notes, I have a little chart there. I looked at it after. It's a little bit confusing. It helps if I say this. You read it across. Okay? In the case of conversion, the Spirit is the baptizer. The Spirit is the agent of baptism. Christ is the element we are baptized into. That's conversion. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, into the church universal. Number two, with water baptism, the minister is the agent, or whoever's doing the baptism, the water baptism, it's not always a minister, uh, but they're the agent, and water is the element we're being immersed into, the element we're being baptized into. And when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Christ is the agent, who baptizes us into the Holy Ghost. The baptism in the Spirit has a physical component known as speaking in other tongues. Tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. At salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a difference they are separate and distinct events. They are as distinct and different as filling a cup up with water and submerging a cup into water. Two separate and distinct events. So how do we get there? Well, Jesus said that we should ask. He said in, in Luke eleven thirteen, if then if you then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him that asks? The only prerequisite scripturally is to be saved. I do believe there needs to be a hunger and a desire for all that God has for us. It's much less likely to happen 
if we're content where we're at. And we stand at a crossroad. The Spirit wants to move us in the camp of Dan. When it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, churches tend to go to two extremes. Uh, for some, it becomes the main thing. Some denominations have gone so far as to make the baptism in the Holy Spirit a prerequisite of salvation. I have no idea how you get there. You, some actually say you have to speak in tongues to be saved. I don't know how you get there. Other churches ignore it because it's uncomfortable and there, there feels like there's a lot that can go wrong from here. It feels like we can get off the rails pretty quick. Let's remember, salvation is the main thing. Let's remember, knowing Jesus is the main thing. That, and that's where we're at as far as Central Assembly goes. Speaking in tongues is not a prerequisite for salvation. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. But on the other hand, I want everything that God has for me. There was a guy who, who leased vehicles for two years at a time instead of buying and one time when he, when he was trading in his old truck, the dealer gave him the keys and the fob, this is the fob, if you don't know, um, to the new one. And he said, remember, push those two buttons at the same time and your truck will start. And then the dealer went out to do something outside and the guy was sitting in the office and the, his old fob was sitting there and his old truck was parked outside. He looked at that fob and he reached over and he pushed the two buttons on the old fob and his truck started. <laughs> He'd been driving his vehicle in the cold Wisconsin winters and never knew that he had a remote starter. A lot of Christians are living their lives not tapping into all that's available to them through the fullness of the Spirit. The day you experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you'll have a newfound boldness and a newfound power to be a witness for Jesus. You will have experienced something supernatural that's an experience that you can't help but build your faith and empower you to share the gospel with the boldness of, of one who just doesn't believe, but one who knows. One final thought on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's different than the gift of tongues and interpretations. Engage with me here. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is separate and different from the gift of tongues and interpretations. The gift of tongues and interpretations is for the edification of the entire body which is one of the ways that God speaks to us. If you have a message in tongues for the body or, or the interpretations, it should be given loudly and clearly so that all can hear because it's for the edification, the encouragement, the building up of the body of Christ, the church. It, now listen, it should encourage, according to the Bible, or inspire, it should edify, if it's a message of correction or if it's a message of change of direction, then you need to write that out and give it to me or a staff member or a member of the board. We, we ask that you do that to uh, prevent confusion.
confusion. If you, if you say you couldn't help but share it, I'll use that to point out your error. For the Bible says the spirit is subject to the prophet, and you're the prophet. Now the baptism in the Holy Spirit is different from the gift of tongues and interpretation. The baptism in the Spirit is personal, and it's meant for your encouragement and your edification. Much of the confusion about tongues and the scriptures concerning tongues has to do with not distinguishing between the gift of tongues and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which everyone has. The gift of tongues, which not everyone has, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is available to every believer. So, so let me wrap this up. Imagine, let me wrap this up with this illustration. Imagine that I have envelopes up on the platform, and they all contain money. So far, so good. If there's 200 people, I have 200 envelopes. And I invite everyone up to the platform to take an envelope. My hunch is there will be three responses. There will be one group of people that would run up to lay claim to theirs, right? There will also be a group of people that are more reluctant, and we, they would have to be coaxed or, or coached to come and get theirs. And the third group would not come if you dragged them. It's a lot like that with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The question becomes, do you want everything that's available to you in Christ? Samson stood at the crossroad in the camp of Dan. Did he want more? Did he want all that God had for him? Did he want all that was available to him in Christ? Or was he, was he good where he was at? Was he comfortable? Those are the questions we have to answer. We stand at a crossroad. You stand at a crossroads. I stand at a crossroads. And the Spirit began to move Central Assembly in the camp of Dan. I've asked some specific people to come up and be prayers today, and if they would take their place here facing the congregation. Should be four groups of, of prayers. And they will pray for you for just about anything. You can come up and be prayed for for healing, for wisdom, for provision. And today we talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And one of the most effective ways we find in being filled with the Holy Spirit, very scriptural, to have someone lay hands on you, to pray, to walk you through that process. These, these folks have been selected specifically with that in mind. And I think this should be your prayer. If you're unsure, I understand that. If you're unsure, this is what I say whenever I'm unsure. I say, God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to conjure anything up. I'm not going to conjure anything up for you. But I want everything that's available to me. And, and so again, whatever your need is, come and be prayed for. If it's for more of Jesus, it's for, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's for healing. Worship team will play. 
We've purposely allowed some time. We're not running late. Come and spend some time with Jesus. We're at a crossroad. I love that verse 25. The Spirit moved Samson to the camp of Dan. We're at the camp of Dan. We're in the camp of Dan this morning, standing at a crossroad. You want more of the world? You want more of Jesus? It's up to you.